Hello, everyone, and welcome to the First Love Podcast. Today, we continue with part two of Mark Fee's sermon series on prayer. We hope you are enjoying this series. As we go deeper into this topic, may the Holy Spirit open your hearts and minds to this important practice. Now, let's listen to Mark. Today, I'm going to do the second message on prayer. Have you ever had some of these struggles where you can't stop being so easily triggered or set off, so angry and then be out of control that you feel like you're a time bomb waiting to explode? Or maybe you can't gain control over your difficult emotions and unhealthy responses, whether it be harming yourself or others or going to unhealthy coping mechanisms. Or you can't seem to shake a painful memory and all the terrible thoughts and feelings you have because of it. Well, it's a possibility you need inner healing prayer. And how I'm defining inner healing prayer is that it's a prayer that works to heal the injuries that have happened to your inner person, your soul, to bring peace to your heart and rest to your mind. Wouldn't we like that? So Lord, I ask you then in the name of Jesus that you would really help me to share what you've given me to share. And then for each of my brothers and sisters, Lord, I pray that you'd empower them to really hear well and apply and be ready to respond. And I ask you, Lord, for this in Jesus' name. So what happens when you are sinned against, wronged, harmed, treated unjustly, or abused? What happens when you experience that? Because even the fact that times when you are physically harmed, even though that creates pain, that's not really the only place you feel it, is it? You may feel the physical pain, but then something happens right here inside. There's an internal pain that happens. That pain inside that says, why did you wrong me? Why did you harm me? Whether it's physical pain, whether it's physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, whatever kind of harm, whatever kind of wrong that happened to you, a process takes place. The first thing that happens is that you feel pain. You feel injured. A lot of times, we don't even engage in that very well because what happens so quickly is that the very next thing you feel is anger. That emotion that rises up inside and says, hey, that wasn't okay. That's wrong. Stop it. And for a lot of us, that's a hard emotion to experience. It's an emotion even we're a little bit afraid of. And unfortunately, from time to time, that emotion's even been taught as being sinful. Well, that can't be the case because we have 460 some odd references to God being angry. And if it's sin, then he's in deep trouble. No, what the problem is, is that we quickly sin in our anger. The reason God gets angry is because the anger that comes in God's heart is because God is being wronged. He's being ignored. He's being betrayed. He's being disobeyed. He's being dishonored. He's being mocked. He's being treated as though he doesn't exist. That creates pain in the heart of God and anger rises up and says, that's not okay because I count. And he also gets angry when he watches people harm one another. And he says, that's not okay. Stop abusing, stop betraying, stop lying, stop cheating, stop stealing, stop. It hurts. So don't do it. Then what happens after that is that the way that we're wired is that when that hard thing happens, it becomes a memory. It gets lodged in the fabric of your mind and your heart, and then it gets fixed in there. And the thing that's really difficult is that once that happens, it's really hard to take care of. 
Now see, the thing that's been most unfortunate, I think, is that say for instance, maybe there's a story where, where a brother is fooling around with his sister and he pins her on the ground and he says, I'm gonna put a bug down your back and it's gonna torment you and it's gonna hurt you and bite you and cause you all this pain and all he did was put a ladybug. But she's terrorized. And then what happens a little while later is that she becomes an adult and all she has to do is see a ladybug and she's like, ah! And everybody goes, huh? That's a ladybug. So then she worked so hard to rationalize, to speak truth to her mind and go, it's just a ladybug. But every time she sees a ladybug, she still has that response. Because see, you don't fix that memory by just speaking truth to it. I wish that were true. But I know most of you that are sitting out there have tried to apply that truth and it doesn't go away. Because see what happens is that it gets lodged right in this place. Why we call it inner healing prayers because... From the Jewish point of view, there's only two parts to a human being, the physical and the non-physical. In the Hebrew mindset, this is why the command to love God and to love your neighbor, but to love God was to love him with all your heart and soul. No reference to the mind because the heart meant all that internal stuff. It meant emotion. It meant will. It meant thinking. It meant decision-making. So you had that one eternal activity that went on, but then you had this internal part of you that was you called your soul. That part of you that says, I exist, that I'm a person, that I have identity, that I have worth, that I have value. That thing when God breathed into you, the thing that made you become a living being. And I've chosen inner healing because Paul uses that word twice. 2 Corinthians 5 or 4.16. He says, therefore, we do not lose hope, though outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly. In our inner being, we are being renewed day by day. He also says it in his prayer in Ephesians 3, 16, where he says, I'm also praying for you that God would strengthen you by his spirit in your inner being, where Jesus dwells in your heart by faith. See, there's this inner part of us. And that when we get wronged, when we get wounded, it happens right here to our sense of person. It also forms a memory. And oh, how I wish you could just make it go away by just speaking truth to it. Well, see, then what happens is that this next thing where you're hurt, you feel angry, and then this next thing that happens to you is that you want revenge. You want to see eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You want to see payback. I actually finally found out what the word vengeance means. <laughs> to look it up, but it was kind of helpful. Vengeance is simply an old English word for punishment or penalty. To avenge is to actually execute that penalty, that punishment. Revenge is executing that penalty of punishment myself. And isn't that usually what happens? Is that we want to see somebody get penalized, and a lot of times you don't want to have anybody else take care of it. You want to do it. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. This stuff is all normal that triggers in us. Well, what happens though, if somebody does that to you and then they never repent? What if you never hear, I'm sorry? What if you never hear, that was not okay, will you forgive me? What if repentance or justice is delayed or refused or denied? This is when it becomes an issue that needs healing. Because see what happens then is that original thing that was anger, 
that would compel us to to want to make things stop and see things get corrected. When it doesn't get dealt with, then it begins to turn in to a sinful attitude. The first one being hate. Anger is not sin, but hate is. You know, I have to be careful on that, I guess, because even God hates sin, doesn't he? But you know what I mean, that it's that hate that maybe makes more sense if you think about bitterness or malice. Malice is that thing that rises up inside that wants to see somebody pay. Resentment. These kinds of attitudes, thoughts. And they start growing inside us. So what are we supposed to do then as a Christian? What are we supposed to do to keep that from happening? How are we supposed to prevent that? Well, most of you have heard of Matthew 18, right? The 18, 15, where it says, if your brother sins, go point out their fault. But actually, I want us to look for a moment at Luke 17, because this one actually, I think, says a little bit better about the difficulty of what to do with this process. Luke 17, verses 4 and 5. If a brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. Or like Matthew 18, go and point out their fault. If they repent, forgive them. If they sin against you seven times in a day, then seven times repent, and then seven times they repent, forgive them. I love what the disciples say next. Lord, increase our faith. Because I don't know about you, but man, I would be like, one time if they repent and forgive them is pretty good. But then after that, I'd want to be counting up to seven, like, go ahead, hit me six more times, because on the eighth time, You've had it, dude. And that's what's even worse is then you get into some other text and then Jesus goes on to say, you know what? Not even seven times, but seven times 70. 490 times? You have got to be kidding. Lord, increase my faith. This is hard. In order to not become full of hate or bitterness, resentment or malice, then if they repent, we're supposed to forgive. In Hebrews 12, 14, and 15, the author says, See to it that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble or defile many. In Ephesians 4, 31, Colossians 3, 8, Galatians 5, 19, these are some of Paul's sin lists. He says, Get rid of hatred and bitterness and malice. In Romans chapter 12, verse 19, he says, Vengeance belongs to God and or his authorities, parents, and government. So do not take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. That's why I had to look up that vengeance thing. I've known that verse forever. <laughs> I thought, man, i got to check this out. You see, the Lord says is that that's his job. That's his responsibility. And then he caused me to remember Jesus. Instead of exercising revenge, payback, or retaliation, or even in the sin list, Paul refers to it like brawling or slander or gossip or hate speech, discord or dissensions. He says, be like Jesus. Or in 1 Peter 2.23, it says, when they hurled their insults at Jesus, he did not retaliate. And when he suffered, he made no threats. Wow. That's not normal. To not retaliate, to not make threats, to at least think those things. Instead, it says he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He left justice into the hands of the Lord and to those whom God's given authority to meet it out. Now, this can be easy or hard depending on a number of things. It's easier to forgive someone, as the text says, when they repent. But on the other hand, what can make this thing really, really difficult 
are a handful of things. First of all, it's who it is that hurt you. Who the offender or the perpetrator is, and what I mean by that is the degree of closeness they have to you in relationship. See, if it's somebody you don't really know or really care so much, they can hurt you and even hurt you kind of bad. But it doesn't quite have that pain in your inner being as it does when they're close to you. It also depends on the kind of wrong that they did to you. You know, sometimes they can just offhandedly say a comment and that might hurt, and then they could betray you, assault you. It's the kind of hurt. The third thing is the severity of the hurt. How many times and how deeply can also make it very hard, as well as why they did it. When somebody intentionally harms you is very different than when somebody accidentally harms you. I'm going to come back to that point as I get a little bit further, because something you really need to understand. In addition to that, who it is, the closeness, what it was they did, the severity of the wounding, and the intentionality of it. The other thing that really can either accelerate this repentance, forgiveness, healing process, or really slow it down, is also the quality of their repentance. Here's what I mean by that. I like to define it this way, that I think people sometimes have a shame-based repentance instead of a love-based repentance. What do I mean by that? Shame-based. Shame-based, see, is that when I do wrong, it's all about me. Shame-based repentance is when somebody says, oh, man, I'm really sorry. I, I know I screwed up, but, you know, I really have this problem, and I've always had this problem, and like, well, it's just me, you know, and so you kind of got to just put up with me, and like, well, I don't know if I can change. Well, maybe I'll change, but, well, shoot, man, you know, I mean, you got to accept me the way I am. Like, come on, man. Wow, how'd that feel? It showed nothing about you. It expressed nothing about you. Here's the difference. Love-based repentance. Love-based repentance looks you square in the eye and says, what I did to you was wrong, and it's never okay. There is no excuse, no time, no place for any human being to ever experience what I did to you. And I'm so sorry for the pain that it's caused you. It kills me to see you hurt. And by God's grace, I will make every effort that he would identify, show me, train me, teach me, change me so that I won't do this again. And now in mercy and grace, I ask you to forgive me. It's not my right. It's your gift. Do you hear the difference? What did love-based repentance do for you who was harmed? What I just spoke to your heart tells you, one, is that even though initially I hurt you, I care about what I did and I love you. The second thing that I said helps you believe that you can trust me. See, that other form of repentance, you neither feel loved and you have no reason to hope, no reason to build relationship again with them. When we repent well, we feel cared for, we feel loved, and we feel the possibility of trust, and we feel like healing can come. Thank you for listening to the First Love Podcast. We would be so blessed to have you partner with us in this ministry. For more information or to subscribe to our weekly update, visit firstlovedministries.org. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. God bless and have a great day.